want to say a big thank you to the band. Thank you for Brian Lewis today stepping in and just playing a guitar. Y'all get Brian in the band. Y'all give them a big hand. Didn't they do great? It's amazing to see how God will just bring people into your life at the right time. And Russell had to be gone. Normally plays the guitar for us. And he could be here. And I just appreciate uh, these guys so, so much. They put a lot into this. We have been talking about focusing as we realize in the life that we live in that things can change on a dime. That as we are walking with our loved ones one day and then the next day, uh, they're gone. We look at things that are happening around the world and, you know, it throws up all of these uncertainties and, and, and oftentimes it throws up these, these very desperate feelings of what, what is it that we do now that this has happened? And in the wake of so many tragic occurrences in our life and in our culture and other states and around the world and and, in Germany and France, I want you to know that as I read the verse that in, in, in the end times, in the final days, that perilous times will come, that that's a certainty, that it's really not an uncertainty, it's a certainty. In fact, in Luke's gospel, you don't have to turn there, but in chapter 21, verses around chapter 21, verses, uh, I think, 25 through 28, you, you can go look at it later, uh, Jesus begins to speak about those very things in the context of end times. And in that, of course, they begin to ask questions as we would if we're talking to Jesus. How can we know that when these things begin to happen? And he says, you know, the things will happen out in the cosmos, the sun and the moon. There will be all sorts of situations that unfold out there in the, in the heavenlies. And then, of course, he talks about these tides that would come and and not just a normal tide in the ocean, but speaking, of course, of tsunamis. We didn't hear about tsunamis at all when we were younger and coming up. And then you start hearing about the unfolding of earthquakes in diverse places and all of these things happening. And then the Bible says in Luke's gospel, I think it's chapter 21 and verse 26. Listen to what it says. Men's hearts will be failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. And you think about that for a minute. Literally, men will be passing out with fear. They will be having hearts heart attacks and all of this because of the uncertainty that's going on around them. But then he goes on to say, and I love this, he says in verse 28, he says, verse 27, then will they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with great power and glory. Watch what he says in verse 28. He says, now when these things begin to happen, when they begin to happen, how many of you know they've already begun to happen? He says, when these things begin to unfold, look up, lift your head, for your redemption draws nigh. And he's saying there, not just look up in the clouds because that's where Jesus is going to come according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But he's really saying, lift up your countenance. He says, don't be walking around in life with your head down because you have a greater hope. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You don't have to walk around with uncertainty. It's a sure thing that it's going to happen. But also we know that when these things begin to unfold, listen, our redemption draws near. To lift up your head. Can I tell you, the church needs to lift up her head today. We need to be, the Psalms 3, the Bible says that he is the lifter of our head. That even in the wake of great uncertainty, we need to realize that oftentimes it's just a matter of perspective. You know, we can look at a life of Richard Dean, look look at my father, look at some of your guys that have lost loved ones and make no mistake about it. It's something you deal with every single day of your life. My father's been gone now for three and a half years and every single day I'm forced to reckon with that fact that I will not see him this side of eternity but I love the fact that I will see him again he will be in all of his glory he will be like Christ and I and there's not a there's not an angst if you will I know where he is I know where Richard Dean is and see that's a matter of perspective death is not the finality in fact I love the fact that they sang today about uh, about love the love of Jesus 
Why? Because the love of Jesus doesn't look at you on your own countenance and your own abilities. It looks at you through the lens of God's grace. We talked about it over the last few weeks that there are five things, and we're going to continue in that today, but today we're going to bring a little subtext beneath that. I know some of you who take notes, Kim Phillips, that today I might change things up a little bit, but we were talking about that Martin Luther in the Protestant Reformation, he began to unfold things of of what it was that we were to stand upon. And, and, And all the uncertainty, what we stand upon we stand upon five things we stand by the grace alone the grace of Jesus Christ alone that we are made right by his merit not upon our own guys that takes a lot of effort off of my conscience doesn't it It takes a lot of work and a lot of worry why because we realize that no matter how good watch this church no matter how good you can do the Bible says it is counted as a filthy rag for the glory of God so on the other side of that, guess what? When I do things that aren't so good, when I make mishaps, when I turn left, when I should have turned right, that he doesn't look at me and go, I am just really, really shame on you. He looks at me through the lens of his son and the grace that's been applied to my life. See, there's a lot of people think that you got to do and you got to be and you got to, let me tell you something, it's by the grace of God alone. And then what we did the next week, we went into, it's by grace alone through faith alone. Faith is the vehicle by which we grab on and operate under the grace of God. Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then we, we kind of transfer that. It's by grace alone, through faith alone. Watch this. In Christ alone. Jesus is the only way. He, listen, I know that we live in a culture today where we want to be uh, not judgmental and we want to be tolerant. But let me tell you something. According to the word of God, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman, boy, or girl comes to the Father except by me. That is, does not lend itself to any level of tolerance or any level of opinion. It is settled in heaven. His promises are yes and amen in him. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then today we advance the fourth one. Grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone. This is our mandate. This is our book from cover to cover. 66 books of the Bible written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years times of writing in three different languages over three different continents by people who never and oftentimes never, never met one another. Yet 300 uh, projections, prophecies, predictions of a man named Jesus who would come as the Messiah and fulfill them. And the very fact that he fulfilled not 299 but all 300 of them is absolutely an impossibility. However... He did just that. The whole book has been corroborated. It's been attacked. It is the most selling book of all times. It is the most criticized book of all time. But let me say this. The Bible says in the finality of all things, the heaven and earth will pass away, but his word shall remain. He holds this word above his own name. Why? Because when we engage life in the uncertainties, when life turns on a dime and leaves us standing there wondering, we can go to this book for answers. And that's where we're going today. And I want you to do so under the confines of the context of perspective. It's all in how we look at it. Reminds me of an old story of these three men that were hiking through some of the Arizona desert. And they come upon this very raging, violent river. And they get to the side of the river and looking, realizing that they need to get across that river. And praying men that they were, the first man stood up and he said, Lord, I pray that you would give me strong arms and legs, the strength to conquer, to get to the other side of this river. Poof. He had strong arms and legs, and he swam across. It took him two hours, nearly drowning twice. But he got on the other side of the river, and he waves to the other guys. 
The next guy, having seen how that unfolded, he said, Lord, I pray that you would give me the strength but also the tools to conquer this violent raging river. Poof. He had strong arms and legs and he had tools to build a boat and he made it out of wood and he, and he went across and paddled himself across. It only took him an hour. He, only, he nearly capsized only one time, but he made it half the time. The third guy watching these first two guys and he's thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit better than this. Lord, I pray that you would give me the strength and the tools and the intellect to cross this river. Poof, he became a woman and he asked for directions and he went upstream 100 yards and he crossed the bridge. I, I figure the ladies might... Mark, what does that have to do with perspective? Not a thing. I just wanted to please my wife today. <laughs> no, it's a matter of perspective. What are you asking God for? What are you believing God for? In the column, Marilyn Vosavant gave an interesting perspective on contentment in perspective. One reader wrote about a unique experience she conducted being dissatisfied with her neighbor's yard looking better than her own. You've heard the old saying, the grass is greener on the other side. So she decided in her wisdom to go and spend a little time at the neighbor's house. And she went over to the neighbor's house and she made this huge deduction. She began to look over at her yard and all of a sudden her yard that had looked real dirty and brown when she was standing on her front porch looking down at her own grass, she's now at the neighbor's house on the front porch looking down at theirs and theirs all of a sudden looks a little brown and dingy but hers looks lush and green. And the reality is she came to this deduction. She said, you know, it's interesting. Over here looking at my yard from a distance, you can't really see the dirt in the yard when you look from afar. You know, that's just like mine in your life. You look at people, you do it, I do it. You ever just wonder why some people just tend to just have an easy life? How some people don't get attacked like you do? Can I tell you something? You go over there and walk in their shoes for a minute, you might start to see a little dirt in their yard. You see, the reality is, is we're all, Pastor David said it best this morning, listen, we're not perfect people. The beauty in us standing here before you is not, it's really not a joke or a cliche. We're not a perfect church. If you're looking for it, keep looking because there's not one. But what I do know is that our mandate is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to reach people through the lens of spiritual eyes. Why? Because Jesus doesn't see people as black and white and he don't see them as rich and poor. He don't see them as broken and together. He sees people as a needy people needing the grace of God through faith in Jesus, through Christ alone, according to the word of God alone. That's what he sees. That's what we are. So today, I want you to turn in your Bibles real quickly, if you will, to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm just going to give you a couple of things on perspective. On perspective. Elisha, not to be mistaken with his predecessor, Elijah. Elisha was a man of God, a prophet of God, who was running from the Syrian king who was pursuing him to kill him. And he went into the, to the valley of Dothan. And the Syrian king got wind that he was there and began to pursue him. And he sent his soldiers to surround this, this one area of land. And for sure, this, come, this came a point where they were going to be able to overtake him. He, they had him right where they wanted him. In the Second Kings chapter, chapter 6, verses 14 and following, I want to read a few verses. And I want to unfold this today, if I may. He says, Therefore he sent horses and chariots and great armies there, speaking of the Syrian king, to Dothan. And they came by night and surrounded the city. 
And when the servant of the man of God, that would be Elijah's servant, when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out and he saw, watch this, there was a great army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, we've come to a place. What shall, watch what he said, what shall we do? And I love, I absolutely love Elijah's answer here. Do not fear. Don't be worried. Don't be dismayed. Don't be afraid. He says, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I wonder sometimes if we get in life with our back against the wall, and you know it, you know it as well as I do, it's a matter of perspective. We go through life and one person begins to talk about us, and then our response to that, as we begin to speak death over our own existence, we say this, everybody's against me. That's not true. That's a matter of perspective. Or maybe, maybe uh, something happens to our kid and we go, my kid's always causing problems. No, your kid caused a problem one time. They're a kid. You prayed for them. You had them. Deal with it. The reality is it's a matter of perspective. The way we look at church, the way we look at the word, the way we look at prayer, the way we look at life and death. And Elijah was saying, no, no, don't make no mistake about it. There might be a lot of people against us, but there are more for us. Then there are those against us. And here was his prayer. Watch what he said. Verse 17. Here's our text. And Elijah prayed, said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. How many of you know a chariot of fire is a little bit better than a chariot? When you go to war, if you got fire, you're good to go, right? Watch what he says. Chariot of fire uh, all around Elisha. Let's get a picture here for just a moment. Elijah's in his house, possibly sleeping, and, and, and the servant goes out, and he sees all of these enemy soldiers on chariots and horses, arrayed in battle attire, swords drawn, shields in hand, and they're about to overtake him. There's absolutely no hope. Can I tell you something? God's greatest work in our life is when our back against the wall and there is no hope. Why? Because then and only then can we know for sure, and he knows with all certainty, that he and he alone will receive all of the glory that he so richly do. See, if you can do it on your own volition, you're going to be very susceptible to not give God the glory for it. But when you know that the doctors have said there is no hope, you know when there's no way you can make financial budget this week. You know that when everything looks the opposite and all hell has caved in on your world and God steps in and intervenes, you will follow him to the last breath in your body because you will know unequivocally that he did it, he alone did it, he is worthy, and you have to serve him with everything that you have because you realize that without him, you would have fallen flat of your face. That's the way he wants it. I submit to you that we don't have to go through some of the things we go through. I admit that. But I'm going to show you today that it's a matter of perspective. What did he pray? Open his eyes that he may see. What kind of eyes was he talking about? I'm glad you asked. He was speaking about spiritual eyes. Let's pray today. Father, as we read your word today, as we dig into these points, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would open our spiritual eyes that we may truly Truly see in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's just a matter of proper perspective. I believe that when we open our spiritual eyes, number one, we will see the different circumstances of our life. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, you don't have to turn there. Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh to preach to a defamed people, a depraved people, a grotesque people. 
And before we go to judging Jonah's life and say, why don't you just go and evangelize them? Because we do the same thing. Jonah just felt, quite frankly, because of their grotesque lifestyles. They were killing people. They were were putting people on post, literally killing them and putting them like a skewer to line literally the roads to the king's palace of Nineveh. These were the worst of the worst. They would have made ISIS look like like Boy Scouts. These people were absolutely terrible in all accounts. And Jonah's like, I don't want to go. I don't want them to be redeemed. Can I tell you something? We need to be real, real careful in our life. When God calls us to go to a people, it look different, act different, dress different, all these kind of things. We need to realize that if it weren't for the grace of God, we would be just like them. We need to take the gospel to all people. Whosoever will, let him come. And watch what happens. And he goes and, and he tells him, he says, I want you to go to Nineveh. So what does he do? He does like a lot of us would do. God will say, go this way. We turn around and run the other way. And he found himself on a boat heading to Tarshish, and he's on the boat, and then things begin to happen on the boat, and some of the sea mariners begin to confront him and say, wait a minute, you, have you brought a curse upon us? Because, you know, the sea is contrary, the wave is a tempest, this ocean. He said, what's going on? And he said, it's my fault. Just throw me over, and it'll settle out the tempest of the sea. Everything will be fine. They said, I don't, we don't want to murder an innocent man. You know, what do we do? They begin to pray, and finally they realize it began to get a little worse. They said, we got to throw this guy uh, overboard, and, and maybe everything will settle down. And Elijah's going, yeah, I, I told you that earlier i mean jonah said i told you that earlier and then they throw him over and the sea settles down and watch this the bible says in 117 now the lord had prepared a great fish to swallow jonah beautiful children's bible story it makes for a great artist rendering of this beautiful moby dick looking well and oh so eloquently just opening his mouth and and jonah's running out on the beach a couple of palm trees Sandcastle? Are you kidding me? He was swallowed by a great fish, a shark, a whale, whatever the case may have been. I just wonder today, it's just as a matter of perspective. Do you think that when he went overboard, he's thinking, guys, this just got bad. And all of a sudden he looks and there's this big open mouth coming at him. He goes, this just got worse. See, as a matter of perspective, I submit to you today that he didn't look at it and go, well, praise God, here comes Orca. He didn't see that in the moment. Hear me, church. He didn't see in the moment of the unfolding the salvation brought by a whale that was about to swallow him whole. But if you read the rest of the story, had that great whale not come, he would have drowned In that violent ocean. What's the new perspective? Sometimes things come in our life that may appear to be for our harm. But how many of you are glad that Romans 8.28 says, but all things. Everybody say all things. But all things work together for good. Look to your neighbor and say, it ain't all good. Now look to your other neighbor and say, it ain't all good for you either. But all things work together for good. Let me, let me offer this little caveat. When bad things come in our life, if I'm a child of God and I'm walking with God according to the grace by faith in Christ, according to the scriptures, I can truly, and I say this unapologetically, when everything caves in on your life, you can, church, you can say, God, I praise you. God, you're worthy. As the mouth of the fish is taking him in, he's probably not going, well, praise God, we're just to go evangelize Nineveh. No, he's knowing unequivocally that he's about to die. But sometimes God sends things in our life that may look like they're for our harm, but they're really 
for our good. Everybody said amen. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 14, we see several accounts of circumstances of Jesus walking with his disciples and these storms. It's interesting that Jesus, the creator of the scars on his own body, the creator of the tree that became the cross that he hung on, the the maker of heaven and earth, the splendor, the wonder, the glory of everything in him, according to Colossians 1 and 16 and 17, by him all things consist. But yet in his humanity, as he walked this life and he walked this world, that there were even storms among and around the life of our Savior. In Matthew chapter 14, the Bible says that he had fed 5,000 men and women on the hill and he sent them away and he he went to the seaside and he told his disciples, he said, get in the boat. I'm going to send you to the other side and I'll meet you there in a moment. And he went up on the mountain to pray alone. As the story unfolds, the Bible says something profound. That as they came to the midst, everybody say midst, to the midst of the sea. Well, let me tell you what that means down here on our terms. It means that he was, they were too far to push on and they were too far to come back. They were stuck right in the middle of a mess. You ever been stuck? Don't raise your hand. Everybody ever been stuck in the middle of a mess? Didn't see any way out. Jesus sent them. He prepared a great fish for Jonah. He's now sending the 12 men that are going to spread the message of hope, not only through Asia Minor, all throughout Europe, but the the whole world is going to know by these 12 men who would go out and, and send this message. And yet he's sending them into a storm that he created. What kind of God do we serve? I love the rest of the story because it kind of answers that question. They're freaking out. They're in the boat. What are we going to do? We're going to die. They're, they've walked with Jesus. They just saw him feed 5,000 men, not to count for the women and children, maybe 15, 20,000 people with a couple of pieces of fish and bread. And they're wondering, what are we going to You know, we do the same thing. How many of you ever seen God move in your life? You've seen God move miraculously in your life. Yet when all hell breaks loose in your world, you say, God, what are you going to do? And he says the same thing he said to them. Oh, you have little faith. Do you not know? Have you not heard? As they begin to panic, flounder around, some of them even thinking, I'd be better off just jumping in the ocean and getting it over with. And they look out on this beach and they see this, what the Bible says, a ghost. Look, there's a ghost walking. He's walking on the water. Isn't it interesting? That sometimes when Jesus shows up in our total collapse that we don't even recognize him for who he is that we're looking but our perspective will not allow us to see Jesus in the wake of our own storms why did Jesus send him into the storm what kind of God do we serve the new perspective is he sent them into the storm that he may show them that not only can he calm the storm but he can walk on the surface of what's what's underneath about to kill him And oh, he takes it to a whole nother level. He goes out and Peter, oh, that's Jesus. Jesus, if that's you, beckon me. Allow me to come unto you. Let me come to you. He didn't, he didn't eat. Listen, you're talking about uncertainty. Here, the waves and all this stuff going on. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the top of the waves. And then, and then Peter's like going, throw me a life vest. He didn't say that, did he? Hey, come on and calm the boat. He saw him finally for who he was at that one millisecond of a moment. He says, just let me come. I just need to get to you. I need, with everything that I am, 
He didn't even go through the qualifier of saying, Lord, I know it's impossible for me to walk upon this water, but he didn't do that, did he? Just let me come to you. Can I tell you something? That's what you and I need to get to in our life. If you want to get a new perspective, quit putting all the obstacles that are created by your own lack of faith and just say this, Lord, just let me get to you. Just let me get to you. You know what Peter did that day? He stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water. A human being, not God, but a man walked on the It's impossible. It's impossible for that to happen. And Peter was interesting that as Peter walked on the water, he was doing the impossible. Do you know why? Because his affections were not set on the boat. His affections were not set on the water. His affections were set on the person standing in front of him who conquered it all. Just let me get to him. And if you've never read the story, shortly thereafter, he did exactly what you and I would do. Then he began to walk in the water. He's like, check this out. Maybe he looks back and, John, We don't know exactly, but we know this. As he's walking on the water, the Bible says he began to look at himself. He began to look at his condition. Church, are you getting this? Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. You look at your condition. Man, you you might as well just shut it down and go home and just sit there in the mully grubs with your head down. But what did he tell them in Luke 21? Look up. Lift your head. Your redemption. See, their redemption was walking across the water. But I love this, and I miss this a lot of times when I read this, and it just God just showed it to me in perspective. The Bible says when he saw himself in his condition, he began to sink. Has anybody ever tried to walk on water? You don't just slowly begin to do anything. You drop like a brick. But the Bible offers us a clear perspective that he didn't just go straight to the bottom like he should have. But that when he got his eyes off of Jesus, that there was still enough grace to keep him from just sinking straight to the bottom. He began to sink. And as he began to sink, you know what he said? Jesus, save me. And Jesus opened up his hand, and he pulled him up, and they walked on the water and got in the boat together. See, the new perspective is that sometimes God sends us into a storm Number one, that we may recognize him in the storm. Remember, they thought he was a ghost. See, the quicker, the quicker you see Jesus in the storm, the quicker you're coming out of your storm. But if you're looking, hear me, church, and I say this without any apology. If you're looking for help and hope found in man or found in a self-help book or some other method or running crazy to fill this void, each of you, each of us has a God-sized hole in your heart that money will not fill, relationship cannot produce, nothing in the world can satisfy your innate, hardwired desire to be touched by the master. As the band makes their way back up, the disciples saw a new perspective. What manner of man is this? Because in one account, they get in the boat with him, and he falls asleep in the hole of the boat. You ever feel like God's sleeping on the scene? Come on now. You know. You ever feel like God's not listening to your prayers? You ever feel like you're praying and nothing's happening? 
wonder if it's kind of like Jesus as they were in the Sea of Galilee in another account in another gospel and, and, and the, the sea becomes contrary and they look down and Jesus says fast asleep. You know why? Because he's not worried. Your situation is not too big for our God. He's not worried. You're worried. Sometimes we're freaking out. God, what are you going to do? And God's just going, here's what I'm going to do. Whenever, whenever you get tired of being Afraid whenever you can apply faith to the grace that I've given you in me. Whenever you decide to quit fighting this battle, I'll pick it up and do it for you. They woke him up and he looked at them again and rebuked them once again. Oh, you have little faith. And then he stood on the front of that boat and said, peace be still. New perspective. Why do storms come into our life? Because sometimes God just wants us to say what the disciples said. What manner of man is this? They can speak to the winds and the wave, and they obey his voice. He's the same manner of man that's standing over the affairs of your life and can literally, at his word, can change everything. Church, I said this to to you then, and I just feel like some of you missed it. He's the same God that is ruling and reigning over the affairs of your life. And whatever you bring in here today, he can say, peace be still, and settle it all out. I don't care what it is. I've seen him do it time and time again in my own life. I want to close with this. and There's a program on TV. Many of you might have seen it. It's called 24. And without getting into the whole basis of what that's about, this guy, I think his name is Jack Bowers. Jack Powers? Jack Bowers? Yeah. You see, I haven't watched it a lot. But I love, I love intense action things. I love survival, apocalyptic stuff. And, and, and he's basically got 24 hours to save the world. And it's interesting because he does this every single show. And there's like eight shows in one season. So he saves the world like eight times. But I remember one time he was sitting in a room and, and he was waiting uh, for something to unfold and, and there was like these hundred in, you know, guys holding weapons and he was about to go into the room and I remember sitting there like nail-biting thinking, oh, don't go in there, don't go in there, Jack, Jack, they're standing behind the door, there's five over there. You know, I'm just like, you ever done that watching a movie, just freaking out? And I realized I'm watching this on Netflix and I look down and there's like two more seasons. I'm thinking he really is okay. He made it out because he did like two more seasons. He's already signed contracts for two more after that. He's going to be fine. Mark Chill. So you do that too. You and I will watch a, a program on TV and, and all these things are unfolding and you're, you're, you watch Jaws 1 and you know it's like Jaws 55 and you're freaking out because you know that guy is going to be okay because you've already seen it but you're still. What does that mean, Mark? Because in my life, if I take things off of the temporal and look at the eternal, perspective I realized that there's not just three seasons left there's not just a hundred or a million there's an eternity left and I've already seen the end I know what happens and we're sitting over there watching our life unfold and we're just panicking biting our nails and Luke 21 said that men are losing heart and fainting and collapsing their hearts are bursting from fear why are we afraid I know how this thing ends we're gonna make it We're going to make it out. 
I'm already seated in heavenly places. And as I look at all these things unfolding in life around me, I'm not going to freak out and panic. Okay, if the economic system collapses, guess what? He will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. If I lose someone dear to me, then I can read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That he took the death and the sting out of hell and the grave and gave us victory. That it's not goodbye, but it's so long until I see you again. I know how it ends. If I'm worried about ISIS and all the things that are unfolding and I'm nail-biting and I'm watching this thing happen and I'm, I know how it ends. I've already read the last scene in Revelation 21 and 4 and he shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes and there should be no, so- no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying, no more pain for the former things passed away. He says, behold, I'm making all things new. Today, it's a matter of perspective. Where you view your life now, where you view your life in the future. What are you going to do with what Jesus has given you? You're in a storm today. He's the peace be still. You're in a place of loss today. He is the filler of that void today. You're in a place today where you feel like that God is nowhere around and your prayers are not making it past here and you're crying out and nothing's happening. And you know, guess what? Maybe God has sent, and I say it loudly, sent something into your life that seems completely contrary and you feel like God is punishing you when in fact that thing that you think is sent in your life to destroy you may be sent in your life to lift your head and to save you from something greater down the road. So much so that others may know Jesus. Because that's what Nineveh was about. The whole land repented when he finally got there. See, it wasn't really even about Jonah. It was about the people that needed to hear the message of God. What if your life, what if what you're going through today, husband and wife, what if it's not even about you guys? What if it's about other people watching you and that others may be encouraged and other marriages be healed through the difficulty that you're going through because you're just saying, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if we're going to make it, but Jesus, we're just going to praise you. We're just going to give you honor. What do you stand on today? Do you stand on your finances? Make no mistake about it. That can be gone just like that. Place your faith in Jesus. What do you stand on today, mom and dad, your children? Or is everything that you do, you live, move, and breathe based on you getting your children up? You going to school? Listen, what would Jesus say if he wrote a letter to our church like he did in Revelation? Would he say, I'm proud of you, church? Or would he say you forgot your first love? Would he say that you're lukewarm and I'm going to spew you out of my mouth? Would he say that you're, you, you have a lot of money but you're poor? You have food but you're starving? You have everything but you lack? What, what would he say to us today? Because if we're just trying to follow the status quo and be like everybody else, you can never show me one occurrence in Scripture where popularity lined up with the person of Jesus Christ ever. He says you will be a peculiar people. He said broad is the way and many will find it that leads to destruction but narrow is the way and few will find it that leads to righteousness and leads to hope and leads to heaven what's your perspective today will you open your spiritual eyes here's what I could do right now I could just simply close the service like this see you guys next Sunday that'd be fine wouldn't it See you guys next Sunday. 
And then we go out and we shake hands. David, get to the back of the room. Ben, some of you guys get to the back of the room. Let's just make everybody feel wonderful. Good. Hey, guys, see you next Sunday. Same time. I don't, I don't even, you know, maybe you're not going to come tonight. See you next Sunday. Have a great week. You know the only problem with that and the conviction that I carry under saying that is you're not given another second. I may not see you next Sunday. That's the truth. Life can turn on a dime. Don't you miss it? Well, I'm waiting until we get married before we give our life to Jesus. Well, I'm waiting for, you know, my finances to get in place before I can, before I can love the Lord with all my heart, my soul, and strength and give myself. I'm waiting for this to get in order. I'm waiting for I can get, get rid of the sin in my life before I start. You're not promised another second. Just come with complete, hopeless abandon and just say, here I am, God. Just like I am, here I am. Here's the new perspective. Just as I am. Here I am, God. You're not promised another second. Don't miss him. Don't miss it today. Lives hang in the balance. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Don't you miss it. Do you know Jesus is the Lord of your life? Do you know him intimately? Have you been redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Have you been redeemed by the finished work on the cross? Have you accepted Jesus? Do you know that you know that you know that if you were to die today, you have heaven for a home? If you die, you have heaven for a home. Man, don't sit there today and say, I hope so or I think so. I serve a no-so God with a certainty today. These things have I written you that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're not sure today, pray with me. Something bad came into your life and you got to wait and sort that out. No, that bad thing that you call might have come into your life so that your head would be lifted today and you realize you need Jesus today. You don't need him next week. You need him right now while the opportunity is at hand. This is what you need to do today. Say this with me. Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. To save me. To be the Lord of my life and help me to live for you until the day that I die. Maybe you didn't pray that and you really wish you had. Just know that there's no magical, mystical prayer that can save you. But through faith, by His grace, calling on the name of Jesus, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Through your faith, according to His grace, not just saying some words. Because when you do this, there'll be life change. Everything will shift. Pray with me right now. Jesus, save me. Be the Lord of my life. Help me to live for you until the day you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you prayed that today and you meant it in faith, lift your hand right now. Just lift it up. Don't even think about it. Lift your hand up high. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. Any other hands? Just lift them up. Nobody's looking. I'm not going to come to you. Lift it up high. Lift it up. 